Welcome everybody to Routine Jumper Radio. I am your host Jalen Dixon and I am just a guy with a mic that loves talking about NBA basketball and today we are talking about the insanity that was the NBA trade deadline. For many of us coming into trade deadline week, we thought it was going to be light work. It seemed like there was a lot of buzzwords, a lot of rumors, a lot of nothing in the news that kind of seemed as though we were headed towards a NBA trade deadline that was going to be pretty light work, honestly. It was going to be something that kind of came and gone uh as quickly as it came around. And it was going to be something that didn't have nearly as much impact and influence on the NBA um, as it's been in seasons past. <laughs> Psych. Definitely wrong on that one. I think that we all can agree that this might have actually ended up becoming one of the most exciting trade deadlines of all time, honestly. And I think that starts with Obviously, the Kyrie Irving transaction, which we talked about on the last episode, which began the snowball effect that was unleashing the NBA trade deadline. I think that and I think I mentioned this briefly in the last episode that the Kyrie Irving trade was going to be one of those transactions that kind of allowed other front offices to shake loose. We have to remember the DeJounte Murray trade, the Rudy Gobert trade. The Donovan Mitchell trade, they were not that long ago. I know it feels like it's been a minute because these guys have played over 50 games. The summer felt like it was an eon ago. But the truth of the matter is those transactions are still relatively fresh in everyone's head. Prior to that, any other trade transaction, I think there were two other trade transactions that took place. One of them, including like, I think like, Boss, the Boston Celtics using Noah Vonley as a as a medium to kind of create some more cash space. Other than that, teams were pretty close to the vest about what they wanted to put on the trade block, what they wanted to utilize. Instead, after the Dallas Mavericks made their move for Kyrie Irving, twenty seven other teams elected to conduct some form of a trade. Now, there's two teams that didn't decide to make any trades. That was the Sacramento Kings and my Chicago Bulls. We'll get to both of those teams later on because I think both of their team, both of those teams' choices are very telling for completely different reasons. That's going to be something I actually end the trade deadline discussion on. Today, we're going to get into the bigger transactions of the trade deadline. My thoughts on the influence of these trades on the outcome of this season. A couple of my bold predictions for this season after seeing what has happened in the trade in the trade market, as well as what has been actively taking place in the buyout market. And then with that being the case, we're going to close out with my thoughts on the Sacramento Kings, who I was the highest on, and the Bulls, who are my team and continue to make me want to cry we might end up flipping the order around a little bit when we get through this but nonetheless those are going to be the main things that we talk to talk about today and let's get straight into it talking about the trade deadline and of course there's no way that we can kick this off better than discussing the kevin durant transaction kevin durant was traded at like 2 a.m where East Coast time, there is no light in sight. Even the streetlights are asleep. 
And he was moved for significant draft capital that basically takes up the Phoenix Suns draft ability for like the next five seasons or so. They also moved on from Mikael Bridges, who many thought had the potential to be like a Phoenix Suns lifer, seemed like a guy who was very engaged with the idea of being with the Phoenix Suns for the entirety of his career. Cam Johnson, who has played well for them and definitely has outperformed his initial uh, his initial presumptions when he was drafted. He was a guy that was taken way higher in the draft than many expected. I think back then most was pegging him as being like taken around the 22nd pick to I believe it was the Philadelphia 76ers was where he kept being projected to because they needed shooting. And instead he was taken in the top 10. Um, He was taken in the top 10, top 15, if I'm not mistaken. With that being the case, oh, and Drake and Jay Crowder, but we'll get to him later on. With that being the case, I like this move for the Phoenix Suns. I think the best way to contextualize this move is similarly to the way I analyzed the Kyrie Irving trade, which is the Phoenix Suns saw an opportunity. They took a swing on a guy who gives them significant upside at a position of need with a skill set that is heavily valued in the makeup of their team. For Kyrie Irving, the Dallas Mavericks were willing to sacrifice defensive continuity across the roster with three or four guys that had legitimate defensive capability, mainly Dorian Finney-Smith being the, the linchpin for all of that in order to get another legitimate ball handler in Kyrie Irving, who also is a self-shot generator, next to Luka Doncic, who many have been clamoring for to get some kind of help. Everybody has been saying for the last year or two years that if you get Luka Doncic to some, some significant help, they are going to be a, a much more dangerous team in the Western Conference, considering this is the same squad, considering this is the same Luka-led squad that made the... Western Conference Finals last year. Now, obviously, they're not the same anymore. Spencer Dinwiddie has been traded. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is no longer on the team. Jalen Brunson is no longer on the team. It's not the same look anymore. But prior to that, it was the idea of needing to inject another ball handler into that lineup to help out Luka Doncic. They tried doing it the budget way, <laughs> ironically, by getting budget Kyrie. Do you guys remember when they signed um Kimball Walker yeah they picked up Kimball Walker after I think it was some form of a buyout slash release from the New York Knicks and it was it was it the New York Knicks or was it the Oklahoma City Thunder it was one of those I believe it was the New York Knicks and they tried that route and it didn't last so instead of getting budget Kyrie for essentially pennies on the dollar they were forced to sacrifice legitimate assets in order to get real Kyrie. And that's going to be an interesting feat to see because I think that both of them gel very well. Um, But they're going to need some defensive help with the way that these big wings across the Western Conference have been playing so far this season. And right now they don't have anybody to legit guard them. Shout out to Josh Green, though. He's been playing his tail off. Bring that back to Kevin Durant. You give up Mikael Bridges, who is arguably one of the better 3 and D wings in the league. Cam Johnson, who fits a similar description. Now, granted, he's due to be paid this summer, which makes him a little interesting as a guy that might have needed to be moved because the Phoenix Suns 
probably weren't going to be able to afford to pay him with everything else they already had on their payroll. And then, of course, getting rid of Jay Crowder, which honestly, you could arguably say is about damn time, because honestly, Jay Crowder wasn't playing for them all this season, wasn't providing anything for them. And although I felt as though Jay Crowder could have netted them something significant on his own, getting Kevin Durant as a side piece of that, of holding on to him, probably a good play. Um, Shout out to the new owner, man. The new owner for Phoenix. It's kind of one of those things that we might have to create as a new staple move in the NBA is watch out for the team that gets new ownership or finagles ownership uh, shares where all of a sudden a new guy comes in or a new guy has more control than we're used to because those guys like to step in and make big splashes. Um, if we remember when man when when management slash uh ownership changed um for the Minnesota Timberwolves, what followed that? The Rudy Gobert trade. Similarly, in this case, the Phoenix Suns move away from Robert Sarver, and the first thing that the new owner does is pursue Kevin Durant, somebody that Kevin was def- Kevin was definitely on their radar because the whole league had him on their radar. But Kevin specifically named the Suns as a team of interest when he made his trade request earlier this summer. And I think that's something that kind of stuck with them when they saw a lot of the chaos going on with the Brooklyn Nets and only further pushed itself behind the scenes after Kyrie Irving was traded. That's what makes the Kevin Durant trade that much more interesting is when you look at the way the Brooklyn Nets position themselves with the Kyrie Irving trade. They put themselves in a position by getting Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith to essentially put guys next to Kevin Durant. There was a bunch of talks about Kevin Durant loves Dorian Finney-Smith and what he brings to the table as a hard-nosed 3 and D wing guy that he, he would love to play next to. Spencer Dinwiddie returning back to Brooklyn with another lead role as a dude who's already familiar not only with the city, but also also um more so associated with the program in terms of what they stand for which is internal development and instead it makes that trade makes the Kyrie Irving trade look a little weirder now and it makes the the Lakers package look even more interesting in terms of the fact that they presented Russell Westbrook um the 2027 and the 2029 because I think if you factor in Kevin Durant also being moved you would prioritize future draft capital more than current current level production now we have to remember that there's only like 20 something games left and the Brooklyn Nets are sitting I wouldn't say comfortably in like fourth fifth place but they're in the top six right now with only 20 something games to play and they have a legitimately competent roster with Spencer McHale um Dorian Cam uh Cam Thomas (laughs) those guys they have a legitimately a capable roster that allows them to still be a playoff, not playoff contender. They're not a legitimate contender, but they're going to be a scrappy team that I think does still make the postseason just simply off of the head start that they have on other teams and the, the, the still remaining talent they have available on their team post the Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns trades. So what does this all mean for the Phoenix Suns? Their window is as, narrow as I think maybe any other team in the league outside of probably probably the Lakers 
the Lakers are obviously held up by the fact that like the minute LeBron James is no longer at this team or on this team or playing at an elite level, the Lakers are cooked. I mean, let's be real. The Lakers are 12th, 13th in the West, and they've had LeBron James for a good majority of the year. Uh, they recently got reinforcements, and obviously we, you know, are going to get into that as well because I think that there was a lot of stuff that I said after LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that I think is still relevant, and there's a lot of stuff that I think is not as relevant, but we'll get to that later. Kevin Durant now makes their window narrower when you look at it from a long term because of all the draft capital that they gave up. But it also widens their it widens their their more recent window in terms of the next two to four seasons. If you look at how they're positioned, Kevin Durant is now in a program that kind of is all about what he's all about. If you listen to Kevin Durant really talk, if you pay attention to what he says and focus less on the aggressiveness he might come off with towards the media and things of that nature and really listen to what he says. One of the things that he harps on every single season is that he just wants to hoop. He just wants to be in a winning environment where he's allowed to play basketball at a high level and focus on the game of basketball. If you look at the makeup of the Phoenix Suns, especially with Monty Williams at the helm, that's kind of exactly what this Phoenix Suns team is all about. They're just, they are a team that's kind of made up of a bunch of hoopers. Devin Booker is one of those guys that I think is on the uptick as maybe a dude who is a facsimile of what Kyrie Irving was supposed to be for Kevin Durant. Not necessarily as a tally. I would still argue that Kyrie Irving is more talented than Devin Booker. But in terms of, in terms of combining that talent and ability with the overall consistent productivity on the floor, and I'm talking more so about his ability to stay on the court, non-injury related and non-drama oriented, Devin Booker is no nonsense, all about hoops, wants to kind of give a solid production of elite level NBA basketball on the floor without all of the outside nonsense which I think is a big thing for Kevin Durant and what he's about. I think also Chris Ball, Chris Paul being a guy that, you know, former president of the Player Association, a guy that's up there in age still chasing his first and probably only championship, considering that he is on his last legs as a dude that I believe is like 37, 38 years old. They are, they are a team that has really positioned themselves now, especially without Robert Sarver as the owner, to be an attractive destination with two legitimate superstars, a big-time point guard through name and through reputation, obviously, in Chris Paul, a, a solid guy in DeAndre Ayton, and I'll get to him in a second because I think there's also another, another medium for them to extend this window a little bit more that involves both Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. But they, they're, Phoenix is a good market to go to. It is an inviting market for free agents and for buyout guys. It gets better when you have a guy like Devin Booker and a guy like Kevin Durant as arguably the best one-two punch in the NBA. Obviously, Durant, I mean, obviously, um, Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are probably the best one-two punch in the NBA unless you feel that much higher on Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, 
or you're still holding on to the thread of guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, or LeBron James and Anthony Davis as those contending duos against a against a talented a talented pairing of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. That also brings me to the DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul element, which is they also are put in a position to maybe make this team better very soon. DeAndre Ayton was a very hard guy to be able to trade because of the fact that obviously with him recently being paid and the 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 clauses in his in his um the clauses that he has in his contract allow it where he has a no trade clause that gives at least this season, I believe, that gives him influence over his destination choice uh his his, his destina destination choice. Excuse me. Um, the important thing to factor in about this is as a young big man with still a lot of potential ahead of him and a guy that has shown spurts of greatness when given opportunity as a, uh, bigger name in the pecking order. Now he's been reduced to probably the fourth best guy on the roster, DeAndre Ayton is a guy with still a lot of upside and a guy that could legitimately garner some real trade value. Another thing to focus on is the fact that Chris Paul is going into next season with a deal that is not, I believe it's partially guaranteed. So those two guys are also a medium for them to either trade. Obviously, Chris Paul would be more of like a like a, a weird like buyout situation with him. But you also could trade him uh, depending on how other teams across the league value him. Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton are also trade assets that could be used to upgrade this team's depth further. While also, like I said before, them being an attractive enough market to actually garner free agent discussions to make this team better beyond this season. I believe that the Phoenix Suns from an odds maker standpoint, after bringing in Kevin Durant shot up from about 10th in the odds to win the championship to second behind only the Boston Celtics. The Phoenix Suns are legit. The Phoenix Suns are for real, but I feel as though particularly these next two to three seasons are going to be major in terms of the trajectory of the Phoenix Suns because I feel like this window that they've got going on right here, they've got to come out with at least one championship. Otherwise, they sacrificed a lot for a super gamble on a team that is definitely much more seasoned Um in terms of obviously uh, years played, but also a team that is still getting used to these levels of expectations as a team that is being in the conversation as a championship contender year in and year out. Let's move over to the Lakers trade and the Lakers trade moved on from West Russell Westbrook and moved him to the Utah jazz. There's discussions already about him being bought out. Teams like my Chicago Bulls, the LA Clippers, and the Miami Heat are all teams in conversation for picking him up. They also saw, we also saw Mike Conley move to the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
as part of this three-team trade that also sends Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell, and uh, Malik Beasley to the Lakers. I'm going to knock out those uh, other two smaller portions of the transaction. First, Russell Westbrook, very surprised that he was actually able to be traded, um, especially considering the fact that only one pick needed to be attached out of that 2027 and the 2029. Only one of those picks needed to be attached in order to move off from Russ. I think that was huge for the Lakers, but it also was surprising that they were able to pull it off. Russell Westbrook is going to be in a much better situation if he moves forward. I am not just saying this because I am a Bulls fan that does not really view Russell Westbrook as an upgrade for our team outside of the fact that he's just another point guard sized guy that we add to the roster. But the best team for the for Russell for Russell Westbrook. The best team for Russell Westbrook on the buyout market is to go to the L.A. Clippers. They have legitimate spacing. They have a team that can play five out. They have a team that has real shooting around him that can allow him to play downhill and be aggressive as a rim runner, as a as a paint toucher, as a guy who is a legitimate slashing option without having the crampiness of playing next to an Anthony Davis or having all of that clamoring lack of shooting that the Lakers had uh, while Russ was on the team. Russ, go to the L.A. Clippers. Yeah, it can be also a little bit of vengeance on your part by staying in the same building and just switching locker rooms. But I also think that from a from a skill set standpoint, learn from the mistake of the past season on Rob Palenka's part of not seeing how your skill set doesn't fit necessarily with the makeup of the Lakers team and use that, use that as an example to help determine your next opportunity because where you next go being Russell Westbrook, where you next go will influence your long-term equity as a guy that's going to be going into free agency this off season, where you go, this, where you go in the buyout market is going to have heavy influence on how teams value this offseason because the Lakers sample size is not going to be enough to garner you another long-term contract, whether that's even two seasons or an extensive contract of three plus years, which I think is going to be which is, I think is going to be hard for Russell Westbrook to get anyway. But I think if that if he's going to go for that kind of opportunity, he's got to go somewhere where he can play well and is given the opportunity to play well. The Clippers moved off of the Clippers moved off of John Wall and Reggie Jackson. The opportunity is right there for the taking. All they did was pick up Bones Highland, who I think is going to be a legitimate force for them, but I think he's going to be more of an off-the-bench Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford type. Ironically, both of those guys obviously played for the Clippers in past years as well. Russell Westbrook can step in. He's played next to Paul George before. He can be a downhill guard. Russ, go to the Clippers. For Mike Conley, he's not better than D'Angelo Russell. They've both been playing relatively well this season. I think the difference between D'Lo and Mike Conley for this Minnesota Timberwolves team is he's just a much steadier hand that gives them a more um, a more balanced setup in the starting lineup. He's a guy who doesn't need the ball nearly as much. Anthony Edwards can be a more on-ball presence, which they have played much better when Ant has been on the ball more. Shout out to Ant for being elevated as an injury reserve for the All-Star game as well. Mike Conley also has familiarity with Rudy Gobert, 
who I believe the one-two punch of them was one of the better pick-and-roll duos this past year. That is big for them because Rudy Gobert has been okay this season, but he's underperformed, and he's already been a guy that hasn't had significant impact on the offensive end. So anything that you can bring out of Rudy on the offensive end is big time in terms of helping unlock this team offensively. So I think that Mike Conley was brought in, not necessarily from a talent perspective, definitely not back from, definitely not bringing him in for a timeline perspective, but you bring him in as a steady hand that fits better as a puzzle piece for the Timberwolves. Then for the Lakers, Malik Beasley adds shooting. Jared Vanderbilt adds defense, despite the fact that I don't think he can play next to Anthony Davis, but that's something they can experiment with. And I also think that D'Angelo Russell gives them a guy at the point guard, a point guard position that I think is just better, just better at the guard position than what they've been used to. I think the biggest thing for the Lakers in this trade is they have a real roster. One of the things that I said on the last episode when I was referring to what the Lakers were looking ahead to after LeBron James broke Kareem's record was a team that lacked depth, seemed as though they did not have really any further direction to take outside of being patient for this offseason and seeing their money free up and then going after another big name because that's what the Lakers do. They love sticking to the three guys and filling out the roster with minimum dudes who hopefully fit. Instead, the Lakers did something that I felt like was more of a competent move that helps them both in the short term and the long term. The short term aspect of it is. You fill out your roster for the first time with guys that legitimately fit what your team needs to do. Like I said, Malik adds shooting. He's been one of the best three uh, three point shooters in the NBA this season, and he does it at a very respectable volume. Jared Vanderbilt is a guy that adds perimeter defense and I thought was a big reason outside of Patrick Beverly that they had that the Minnesota Timberwolves once upon a time had this defensive identity around Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. I thought Jared Vanderbilt had a lot to do with bringing that energy. I think that's huge for the Los Angeles Lakers, who also were at their best when their defense was their calling card. And then D'Lo, I think, is a guy that just gives them an X factor at the guard position that guys like Max Christie, Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker IV don't give them. Um, So they have real competent depth on their roster now. I think that's the huge thing about the Lakers now is for the first time in about a season and a half, the Lakers are made up of puzzle pieces that fit together. And that's going to make them dangerous. I don't know if it makes them contender dangerous. I have a few words about how I feel about them as a playoff team later in my bold predictions. But I think they're going to be a team that makes a lot of noise in this latter portion of the season and is at least going to make those teams between the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and even 10th spots. I think anywhere between 6 and 10, the Lakers are going to make those teams who are still in the playoff mix, but not completely comfortable. The Lakers getting better at the trade deadline is going to make those teams sweat. I definitely feel that. The Lakers improving is going to make the teams ahead of them feel much sweatier about their position because at the end of the day, LeBron James and Anthony Davis 
is a combination that is arguably one of the better one-two punches in the NBA. And all they've ever needed is competency around them to be a legitimate 45 to 50 plus win team. That's true. I th- at the end of the day, I might not be a huge Lakers fan, but I can look at their team now and say they are positioned much better to make a run at least making the postseason than they have been probably in the last two years. This is probably the best roster the Lakers have had since the championship. Keeping it real. Let's move on to another smaller deal, but I think a deal that's also going to be very, it's going to have very big implications in the championship picture out East. That is Jay Crowder being moved from the Brooklyn Nets after that trade with the Phoenix Suns to the Milwaukee Bucks for five second round picks. Now that's the funny part that five second round picks thing was thrown out on multiple occasions um, throughout the NBA trade deadline as like, dang, that goes to show you how second round picks are valued, right? You got a package like five, six of them to get like even a legitimate player, a legitimate rotational player. You got to put together like five or six of them, but the willingness to put together five or six of them, everybody's down if it means that they can get a guy that's going to legitimately be in their playoff rotation. Jay Crowder, has not played a has not had a dribble of NBA basketball this season. But the guy been the, the when when the guy does play, he brings defensive intensity, defensive identity, three-point shooting, and versatility. For the Milwaukee Bucks, this for the Milwaukee Bucks, acquiring Jay Crowder is their version of revamping. And also trying to make up for choosing not to retain P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker was a huge force on the Milwaukee Bucks championship run as a versatile 3-4-5 offensively that could stretch the floor, be solid as a catch-and-shoot guy, and guard the better wings across the conference. That is what Jay Crowder provides. This team defensively, when healthy, is going to be bonkers. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Jay Crowder. You can make an argument that that should maybe even be their closing five because there's so much defensive versatility across those top four with Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo to an extent, both acting as rim defenders and shot deterrents in the paint. So they got three guys in Drew, Jay, and Chris that can all switch between the one through the three. Even the one through four if you're facing up against smaller lineups. You've got Giannis, who can switch between the one through five, plays better between guarding threes through fives, but Giannis can jump out there on the perimeter. you got Brooke, who also can slide his feet a little bit and guard out on the perimeter, but was, at least in the beginning portion of the year, much better, if not was one of the better rim defenders in the league and was actually like one of the leading candidates for DPOY, and I still think deserves some legitimate... um, he, he still deserves some real praise as a DPOY candidate. This team defensively is insane. The Milwaukee Bucks, after acquiring Jay Crowder, I think easily have the best defensive five unit 
in the NBA when you factor in versatility, rim defense, shot deterrence, switchability, and just overall physical force because you've just got five guys that can put a body on you, move you, be physical, and force you into making tough decisions. Milwaukee looks real. I hate Grayson Allen, but he but he's a guy who he gives them real play. He gives them real play. Bobby Portis, look, I don't know about all this six-man-of-the-year conversation for Russell Westbrook, but guys like Malcolm Brogdon and Bobby Portis, man, need to be getting real, real conversation as six-man-of-the-year candidates because Russ is leading as a vote-getter slash, like, Vegas favorite for the award. But these guys have just been producing at a much better level for teams that are going to be in the mix. And guess what? They weren't on the trade block because they're producing in the grand scheme of what their team needs them to do. Russell Westbrook was just is basically being praised for embracing a role that in years past he was not open to embracing and playing well in that role. He's playing well as a six man. He is not a six man of the year. Bobby Portis is a six man of the year. The Milwaukee Bucks are dangerous, bro. Milwaukee Bucks are dangerous. And I think of all the teams in the Eastern Conference right now, the Milwaukee Bucks, after getting Jay Crowder, might be the most dangerous team in the East to be able to make a run at the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics are still the deepest team in basketball. They're probably the most talented team in basketball. They are also the most versatile team in basketball. And I think you could even make a case that with their continuity, the Celtics are probably the most prepared team in basketball to make a run at the finals this year using the mistakes of last season, using the slow start of last season, using the lessons of last season as a medium to help them make better decisions this year in hopes of coming out on top as opposed to finishing in second place. The Milwaukee Bucks have the talent and versatility across the board to match up with the Celtics in a way that I don't think any other team, I don't think any other team in the NBA matches up well with the Celtics better than the Milwaukee Bucks do right now. And I think that goes to show you how insane the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be in the postseason, because when the game slows down, physical defense is going to be a, a top priority for teams in order to be able to slow down these big wings and help keep all of this insane three-point shooting and high-volume scoring under control. Teams with physical, versatile defensive units have the most influence on being able to hold things down during a seven-game series against a team where your team and my team scheme against each other. Talent matters, but matchups matters more. And in a season like this with as much parity as there is, those kind of matchups are even more influential. Milwaukee is scary, bro. I want to move on to another team in the Denver Nuggets who really didn't do a ton, but I think in a weird way is indicative of how they feel about their team. The Denver Nuggets are still first in the NBA or uh, excuse me. They are still first in the Western Conference and comfortably second 
in the NBA in terms of record right now. They moved on from Bones Highland, who seemed disgruntled about his position on the team. And despite being a second-year guy, they granted him the ability of trading him to the L.A. Clippers for really nothing, if we're being honest. It wasn't much draft capital, influential draft capital, I should say, off of a guy who, despite being disgruntled, who cares? Like, no offense to – let me phrase it like this. No offense to Bones Highland whatsoever. One of my favorite younger guards to watch play basketball because I think he's he's exciting and electric, especially in the open floor. But Bones Highland is a good player that provided you big-time minutes when Jamal Murray was not healthy and is a guy that gives you real punch off the bench for a Denver Nuggets team that already struggled in terms of their second units whenever Nikola Jokic is off the floor. So giving Bones Highland what he wants for the sake of continuity, I felt like they did a little bit of an underpay simply to keep the locker room at bay. I think that goes to show them, I think that goes to show us how much the Denver Nuggets value continuity and value stability within their organization specifically this season where everything is going right Aaron Gordon's having a, a an elite season an all-star caliber season Jamal Murray is back healthy Michael Porter Jr is playing well um KCP who was a huge pickup for them from the Lakers um or not necessarily through trade but uh, not well yeah it was via it was via trade um he was via trade with Washington, excuse me, that he him as a pickup has been huge. Nikola Jokic is walking around getting triple doubles left and right. The Denver Nuggets have had everything fall into their favor so well this season that letting any kind of locker room disruptance affect them is something they felt as though they could not chance. Fair. Still feel like, like they lowballed on what they could have gotten for a young prospect in Bones Highland. Picking up Thomas Bryant, I think, was huge. The only weird part about it was Thomas Bryant wanted out of the Lakers because he felt like he was getting a diminished role, especially after Anthony Davis returned. And now you're going to a Denver Nuggets team where, unlike Anthony Davis, where you're guaranteed to get playing time because Anthony Davis consistently gets injured, now you're going to a Denver Nuggets team with Nikola Jokic who is easily the most durable guy in the NBA. So Thomas Bryant, shout out to you for making one of the weirder decisions in terms of putting in a trade request, because guess what? Now you're on a team where you're probably going to play even less, especially comes the postseason. Now, the only thing I will give you is you're going to play more than DeAndre Jordan. That's for sure. And I think there's a world just based off of hearing Mike Malone speak on the way uh, Thomas Bryant has played so far this season it sounds like you're definitely going to be favored over Zeke Nanaji as well, which is also kind of weird. It seems like the Denver Nuggets are just not huge on Zeke and they keep finding ways to move him further and further out of the rotation. Thomas Bryant's going to get PT, but I don't know how much playing time he's expecting to get in comparison to how much he was getting with the Lakers. So the Denver Nuggets, I feel like are interesting because of the fact that they made moves that I feel like are more so meant to kind of bolster up the depth a little bit, specifically at center, while also kind of fooling with their depth a little bit at the point guard position by moving on from bones without really getting anybody who helps them out. And 
They're in talks to pick up Reggie Jackson off the buyout market. That's more than likely going to happen just based on how quickly things are moving with that conversation. And it sounds like Reggie Jackson is in a similar place in terms of where he feels about his role when he was on the Clippers. So it's going to be interesting to see if he is more willing and more open to filling out a six-man role at the guard position for the Denver Nuggets who also just have much more continuity than the Clippers. I think the hardest part about playing for the Clippers for anybody is the fact that you don't know what your role looks like on a night-to-night basis. And I think that in a weird way, Reggie Jackson does help bolster up the Denver Nuggets while also bringing in a positive attitude because he's going to be on a roster where once he kind of gets his rotational minutes, he's going to see some consistency out of that. So I think the Denver Nuggets did small things to improve despite it being kind of interesting backstory behind the pickups and then the last bigger transaction i think worth having any kind of real conversation about i think is more so around the lines of the toronto raptors so The Toronto Raptors are a very intriguing team because they chose to move draft equity for Yaka Pirtle from the San Antonio Spurs. Yaka Pirtle was once in the Toronto Raptors program beforehand, but he was not nearly as good defensively as he was last season for the San Antonio Spurs and still is a guy who probably can provide some some real rim protection for a team that desperately needs rim protection in the middle and just kind of desperately needs a center position guy around all of this crazy wing versatility that they have. But they chose not to move on from anybody that was in trade discussions. That includes Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., who are both going to be unrestricted free agents this offseason and are going to be guys that are probably going to command a pretty penny. They're going to be guys that for cap space teams are going to be interesting. Shoot. The Detroit Pistons and the Orlando Magic have already been teams that have been brought up in conversations as squads that might heavily pursue a guy in Fred Van Vliet to bring some much needed stability to the guard position for both of those young squads. So he's already got suitors, and that's not even including teams like, for example, the L.A. Clippers, who, yeah, they picked up, um, yeah, they picked up, I believe it was uh, Eric Gordon in the trade block as well. Yeah, they traded for Bones Highland. But I think that if you can get Fred Van Vliet in their program as well, next to a guy in Kawhi Leonard, who he's played, uh, played next to before, I think Steve, Steve Ballmer is going to be willing to fork out the cash to get anybody who can continue to add to the potential championship equity of the Clippers. So that's three suitors right there that can potentially throw like, like real money, the Clippers less so in terms of money, but they, they have the, they have the owner (laughs) that plays as the X factor with his willingness to be able to go beyond the tax and things of that nature in order to bring in a guy like Fred Van Vliet. And then you have two teams in Detroit and Orlando that are going to have the cap space to bring in a guy like Fred Van Vliet. So he already has legit suitors. This season has been going relatively well for the Raptors. 
And now you're kind of using Yakaperto as this medium of telling Toronto Raptors fans, yeah, we are committed to getting this season back on track and having a similar run to what we had last year, where it was a tough start to the year. But come after All-Star break, we're going to ramp up and we're going to make the postseason and we're going to be scrappy. I question that philosophy. I question that philosophy because this is the highest value we're going to get for a guy in Fred Van Vliet with him being expiring. This is the highest value that you're going to get for a guy in Gary Trent Jr. with him expiring. This is the highest value that you're going to get for OG Ananobi, who now you could say, yeah, we could trade him in the offseason or we can trade him next deadline. But now you're giving the next team only one playoffs with OG Ananobi as a part of their roster, as opposed to having higher value around him by because he would be on this upcoming roster that he would be traded to for two postseasons if he were traded at this deadline. So you also missed out on the highest potential value on OG Ananobi. Pascal Siakam is kind of a separate thing. I feel as though you could sell high on Pascal Siakam. Obviously, the more years you have on Pascal, the better. The younger Pascal is, the better. And the more years he has on his contract, the better that a team can continue to build around him and whoever other stars are associated with the team that he's being brought into. So you look across the entirety of the roster that the Toronto Raptors have. You look at all four guys that they kept. You look at adding Jacoperto to that and you say, what is the ceiling of this team? And I think still the best case scenario for them is. They make the play-in. They're a scrappy team that maybe even gets out of the play-in tournament. They're, they, they fight in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And they get taken out in five or six games as a scrappy squad that made a late-season push again. So you're going to be the same team you were last year with more questions heading into this offseason than you had coming off of last year. So I'm not really sure what Masai Ujiri is doing because it feels like he's positioned his team to have to make much harder decisions in the coming months than he necessarily had to because the draft mark, I mean, the, the trade market was Toronto's. The trade market was Toronto's. The Chicago Bulls made it very clear that they were not going to be moving off from anybody from their core, at least at this trade deadline. And the team that had not only the most players to potentially move off from with real with real capital, but also the most reason to move off of guys at this trade deadline, being the Toronto Raptors, chose to stand put despite having their literal fingers on the pulse of the entire trade market, considering it was a seller's market with them being the team with the most to sell. So Toronto Raptors fans, I am sorry, I guess, because this is now a team that you are kind of forced to bite your fingernails over because everything they do for the rest of this season is going to be, it's going to influence all the decisions that come up, all the all of the decisions that come up this offseason. And it could result in your team looking much different this offseason and potentially being much, much worse this offseason. And that sucks, but I think they're going to be a scrappy team that makes a legit push for the postseason. And in a year with as much parity as there is, 
I don't think you should completely lose hope, but I think you should come to the reality that your team is what it is. And that brings us actually to the Sacramento Kings and the Chicago Bulls, who both chose to stand pat. Your teams being what they are is a good way to focus around these two teams because they both chose to be the only two teams not to make a single trade transaction at the deadline. Let's start with the Sacramento Kings. I believe that the Sacramento Kings were smart to not do anything. You're the third team in the Western Conference. You've played much above your expectations this team this year. The Sacramento Kings have been one of the most outstanding teams in the NBA this year as a team that has played above their expectations, sits third in the Western Conference, has two All-Stars. Shout out to De'Aaron Fox for also being elevated to the All-Star team through um, the injury reserves. And you are a team that is looking to make the postseason for the first time in 15 to 16 years. You are playing well. Do not mess with your continuity. Keegan Murray has been a solid rookie. Kevin Herter has been outstanding as a pickup this offseason. Malik Monk has been huge. I love Terrence Davis as a player for them. De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. They're maybe not a top five duo in the league, but they're probably borderline top 10. I think that De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis are a borderline top 10 duo in the NBA with the way they've played this year. And I think that positions them well to have a, a fighting chance in any po any postseason matchup they have just off of that alone. Don't do anything. I think that was smart. That was more than the more. I think here's the here's the funny part about it. One of the things I said this offseason with the moves that the Sacramento Kings made, getting Keegan Murray, bringing in Malik Monk, bringing in Kevin Herter, I think those were very solid moves for the Sacramento Kings to just make them competent and cohesive. Malik Monk has played with De'Aaron Fox before. Keegan Murray is a more seasoned, older guy as a rookie who is a steady player who can come in and produce day one. Kevin Herter is a knockdown shooter that can play well with the ball in his hands and also play well without it. And I think he's in a position next to a guy in DeMontis Sabonis who can facilitate that in ways that Trey Young couldn't because Trey Young, despite having high assist numbers, is still a guy that needs more on ball reps to be effective. So now you have a team with DeMontis, De'Aaron, Kevin, Malik. You still have... um. Guys, like I said, Terrence Davis, Harrison Barnes on this team. There's a lot of competency and it's made them really competitive. Love that the Sacramento Kings made an even more competent move by knowing themselves, smelling themselves and understanding. We just need to stand put and keep this train rolling because we are playing well. And it honestly can't get any better than this knowing that the expectations coming into this year were significantly lower than where they are where we are right now shout out to the kings for understanding that knowing yourself is much more important sometimes than being the headline that brings all the eyes to your team and brings even more attention to yourself the Kings need to continue to be that under-the-radar team that plays well, 
sneakily is in the top three in the Western Conference, and nobody is talking about him just yet because they want to see the Kings finish the job and finish as a postseason team. Again, shout out to the Kings. Now, my damn Chicago Bulls are another factor. The Chicago Bulls are killing me with this one because Chicago Bulls fans all know, and I know you guys are all going to feel me on this one. To all my Chicago Bulls fans, to all my Chicago Bulls fans, listen to me and listen to me carefully because I'm sure that you feel the same way I do. This deadline was supposed to be indicative of us making a decision on where our team was going to go. Are we going to acquire talent to add to this roster in some shape or form to put around Zach Levine, to put around DeMar DeRozan in order to make this team competent enough to make a second half run at the postseason and try to be a team that tries to contend as a playoff as a playoff uh, squad? Or are we going to sell off Vooch? Are we going to sell off Zach? Are we going to sell off DeMar? Are we going to take a look at guys like Alex Caruso? and move on from guys with high potential trade equity while they are at probably their best potential value that there could be as long as they're a part of our damn team and focus on developing guys like Ayo Desumu, Patrick Williams, and the younger dudes as a part of our roster in hopes of just rebooting this thing and getting a fresher canvas at this. And instead, the Chicago Bulls chose to do nothing. The continuity within the roster continues to sever as reports come out that says that DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are having an internal disconnect after last season, calling each other brothers and arguing that arguing that they are the best duo in basketball. So we have internal dissent. We have no real direction as to whether or not we want to be a damn playoff team or a damn rebuilding team. And on top of all of that, we might have to pay Vooch. They seem enthusiastic to pay Vooch, despite the fact that Nikola Vucevic is the exact guy for the Chicago Bulls that he was for the Orlando Magic, which means that the Chicago Bulls are never going to get any better with Nikola Vucevic on our roster than the Orlando Magic were when he played for them. And then Zach Levine is in rumors for us to move him this offseason to the New York Knicks for R.J. Barrett. If we were going to do that, send Zach to New York now. New, listen, Zach Levine is one of my favorite players in the NBA. He's a goddamn Chicago Bull. I want him on my roster. But if you're going to move him for R.J. Barrett, considering all of the draft picks that the New York Knicks have and the fact that R.J. Barrett has not played this played that well this season, trade Zach Levine for the pick equity that the New York Knicks have and get R.J. Barrett into your program as soon as possible so we can get a look at what the heck he looks like for half a season before fully committing to the idea this offseason of moving off from Zach, going into a year where the, the value of a guy like Zach Levine drops further because of having the, the team not be as good this year. If you're going to move off from Zach, if you're going to move off from Zach and there's already reports that you're going to trade him, if you're going to move, <laughs> if you're going to move off from Zach and trade him and there's already reports that there's a team in mind in the new york knicks saying that there's put that trade is basically going to be done this offseason do the damn trade now 
Let me repeat myself. If Zach Levine is destined to be a New York Nick per these reports, AK, why didn't you trade Zach Levine now while the package is sitting right in front of us? If it's already here, just do the damn thing. Rather than blue balling all of us as Chicago Bulls fans who are sitting here wondering what we're going to do and trying to wrap our head around what those potential moves could mean for our franchise moving forward. And instead, you give us nothing. Absolutely nothing. Chicago Bulls fans, I'm going to be real. We... Chicago Bulls fans and Eagles fans are probably equally as pissed because I feel as though that Bulls fans are probably as pissed at our tourist Karnaschovas in the front office as Eagles fans are pissed at the field in Arizona right now. Because guess what? Both, both things screwed our fucking franchises, at least for this year. At least for this year. And that's crazy because the Eagles, they at least know we're good enough with Jalen Hurts now to be a championship contender year in and year out. And we just ran into Patrick Mahomes. Fine. The damn Chicago Bulls are one of the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference with a flash in the pan season last year as our canvas for what looks like a good team. And now you make no moves in an Eastern Conference that's balanced with Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, dare I say, Indiana. What? What in the world? I just think that is... So crazy. Chicago Bulls fans, man. Chicago Bulls man's fan. <laughs> Can't even speak correctly. I'm so tan so turned off by these damn Bulls, bro. Chicago Bulls fans, I think we might have to really buckle up for this offseason. Because we might have been the quietest team at the NBA trade deadline, but I think that we might end up being the loudest team in the offseason. Because I think the only way that Arturis cannot alienate the Chicago Bulls fan base moving forward is by redeeming himself, by making some goddamn sense of all of this, this offseason with some potential moves. Because standing packed didn't tell, didn't give Chicago Bulls fans squat to hang on to in terms of this season. We thought Kobe White was on the block. We thought Nikola Vucevic was on the block. We thought Navarre was on the block. We thought Zach was on the block. We thought Alex Caruso was on the block. Turns out nobody's on the block. And now we got to deal with it. And we got to figure out what the heck this team is supposed to do moving forward because if internal continuity isn't working, there's no fresh faces in the damn in the damn locker room to help bring some energy. And Billy Donovan's still the coach, which means that in terms of our X's and O's, everything's going to look dang near the same in the second half of the year 
than it than it has the beginning portion of the year. But the only thing we can hope for is DeMar goes back to being completely elite in the clutch and Zach Levine and him reconvene their relationship enough to put us over the top. And then even then, are we just good enough to end up maybe barely making the playoffs like we did last year and running into a team that fits exactly what our kryptonite is? And just like we did last year when we played the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round, Similar to the Toronto Raptors, we basically positioned ourselves to have a much harder offseason than we really needed to. And the best case scenario for us is to be that scrappy team that barely makes the playoffs, maybe takes a game uh, takes a game in the first round and gets sent home packing with a lot of questioning, a lot of issues and a lot of pissed off fans. Man, Chicago Bulls fans, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. But that being the case, that leads me to the ending portion of this podcast where I'm going to share my five bold predictions post-NBA trade deadline as we head into the NBA All-Star break and we look ahead to the second push towards the postseason. Number five on that list is I believe that the Sacramento Kings will remain a top three seed in the Western Conference going into the playoffs. I think they have understood, they have begun began to understand who they are, what they do best. Coach Mike Brown has given them an identity and empowered De'Aaron Fox in ways that he has never been empowered before. They have legitimate depth across the roster. DeMontis Sabonis is the spark plug for all of this. He is the glue guy that makes this all work. The Sacramento Kings competency is now being rewarded. And it goes to show you how when you run your when you run your organization well and you make strong, forward, forward thinking decisions, how good the product on the floor looks. And the Sacramento Kings are now playing some of the best basketball we've seen from them in over a decade. Light the beam. That's number five. Number four is that I believe that the Denver Nuggets should still be favored as the lead team to come out of the Western Conference above the Memphis Grizzlies, above the Phoenix Suns above the Golden State Warriors, I think that the Denver Nuggets are still good enough to come out of the Western Conference, even with all the insanity that has taken place across their conference, especially at the trade deadline. I think Denver is still good enough to come out of the Western Conference, and they're still going to be my lead pick to come out of the West. If I had to give some kind of Western Conference power rankings, it would probably be Denver, Phoenix, Golden State when healthy, the Dallas Mavericks, and then I think the LA Clippers are fifth. So I think the Denver Nuggets are going to come out of the Western Conference still. That's my fourth bold prediction, and I think their continuity and the fact that Nikola Jokic is still the leading candidate for MVP has a lot to do with that. My third bold prediction 
is going to be that I think that I believe that the most improved player is not going to be a guy who makes I think the guy I think that the most improved player should be a co a co award. I know that doesn't happen often, but I think this is a year where I don't think only one guy deserves the mantle of 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 rookie of the year or that deserves the mantle of uh most improved player. I believe that there should be a co-award for most improved player for SGA. And I believe the other player should be Tyrese Halliburton. I just, I just am under the impression that like you cannot go from being considered as a bottom 10, uh, as a, a bottom portion of the top 10, maybe top 15 caliber guard in the NBA and assert yourself as all NBA potential players and not be considered heavily as most improved candidates. I also feel the same way about rookie of the year. I think rookie of the year should be a co-split between Paulo Bancaro and Jay, Jalen Williams, J-Dub, the, the guard Jalen Williams for Oklahoma City. I think that Paulo Bancaro, from a talent perspective, has been the best rookie in the NBA. But I think Jalen Williams has played extremely well for an Oklahoma City team that is that is actually playing well enough to be in the playoffs. Like they're a team that could potentially end up making the postseason this year. So I think that although Paulo Bancaro has maybe been the best rookie from a talent perspective, I think it should also be awarded. I also think players should be awarded, rookies in particular, should be awarded for producing at a high level and being a big time contributor for a playoff team. Because at the end of the day, that's the kind of impact you want from your rookie. You love to see the all-star superstar upside, of course, but that's, that's long-term thinking. But having the kind of upside to be a all-rookie caliber player, a first-team all-rookie caliber player, while also being a guy who can produce at a high enough level to probably be I think Jalen Williams might be like the Oklahoma City Thunder's like third best player already behind SGA and Josh Giddy. I think that's huge that he's been able to come in and produce so far. So my third pro, uh, my third, my third bold prediction is that I believe that both the most improved player and the rookie of the year awards should both be co-awarded to SGA and Tyrese Halliburton for the MIP and Paolo Bancaro and Jalen Williams for the rookie of the year. Not often, if at all, that we ever see co-award co, uh, winners. I think this is a year where, honestly, two guys are deserving for each. And I think both guys should get their hands on the trophy. And if not, one of those two guys for both awards should be the one that walks away with it. That I know hands down. Number two is that I think the Lakers are still going to miss the playoffs. I think that the hole is just dug too deep. You still got LeBron James literally the game after breaking the record and after the insane trade deadline moves that took place where they also got better as a part of filling out their depth. LeBron James misses the game due to injury. I told y'all 
this team was only going to be as relevant as LeBron James is in terms of him breaking that record. LeBron James broke that record, went back into that Oklahoma City game and looked gassed. They lost the game and then he misses the first game after breaking the record due to injury. Try to tell y'all the Lakers are on, were only going to be as relevant as that record stood. The minute LeBron James broke that record, the Lakers reality cinched in. Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo uh, Russell, they're going to make they're going to make the Lakers better. They're not going to make them playoffs better. I think they might make the play in tournament. I don't think they're good enough to make the playoffs. So I think even though the Lakers got better, better better even though the Lakers got better this season with the trade deadline moves that they made, better luck next year. I think you're still going to be missing the playoffs. And then my number one bold prediction is that I believe that the Boston Celtics are not coming out of the Eastern Conference. I know that the East might have gotten a little worse with seeing two super talented guys in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant moving West. But if you just look at the teams atop the conference that still are in the mix, the 76ers are still super competent, and I think they got better at the deadline. The Milwaukee Bucks, like I said earlier, are much, much better and are currently riding a 10-game winning streak. The Cleveland Cavaliers have Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and two big-time rim defenders in Evan Mobley and in Jared Allen. We can never sleep on the Miami Heat, despite the fact that I don't think they're that good this year, but they're currently on a three-game winning streak, and I believe that they're going to be one of those teams that's going to be really active in the buyout market to make up for the fact that they really didn't make too much noise at the trade deadline. I think that with the way this year is gone, and the fact that the Celtics tend to kind of underperform against teams that aren't necessarily on their level. So even teams like the New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks, if they make the postseason, I think are going to be interesting matchups against the Celtics because I think the Celtics are good enough to beat the Knicks. I think they're good enough to beat the Hawks. I think they're good enough to beat all these teams in the Eastern Conference. But I don't think they're as safe as front runners in terms of their ability to come out the East as we are used to. Or, uh, or, or as we've been used to so far this season, because I think that the other top teams in the Eastern Conference are that much better now. And the buyout market is only going to kind of further insinuate how crazy this postseason is going to be from a matchups perspective, because I think that's going to be the biggest focus for teams in the bar, in the buyout market. It's not going to be going for guys to fill talent. They're going to be going for guys that can legitimately step in and fill a rotational role in playoff minutes. 
Anybody getting picked up in the in the buyout market for a championship contending team is only looking for guys that can get PT in the postseason. If you won't get PT in the postseason, I don't know if you're going. I don't know if you're coming off the waiver wire, my guy. And maybe the only reason you do is as backup insurance for players on those teams that might have a pretty scary injury history. Other than that. You are here to come produce in a playoff setting. And if you cannot do that, you're probably going to be on the waiver wire. But I think the Celtics are in real jeopardy to be kind of how the Phoenix Suns were last year. I think that the Phoenix Suns were the go-ahead favorite to come out of the Western Conference. And at one point, we're even like the go-ahead favorites to come out of the uh come out as the champions. And they got humbled in the second round by the Dallas Mavericks. I think that the Celtics are similar because they are one of the deeper teams in basketball. They've had similar health luck to the Phoenix Suns and what they had last year in terms of being one of the more healthier teams in the NBA. They've clearly got the top end talent. But I just got this weird feeling that in the wrong matchup, they're going to get taken out much earlier than we expect. So to recap that, number one, I've got the Boston Celtics not coming out of the Eastern Conference. Number two, I've got the Lakers not making the Western Conference playoffs. Number three, I think that we are going to have co-award winners for the MIP. And I think we're going to have co-award winners for Rookie of the Year. Number four is that I think that the Denver Nuggets are still going to come out of the Western Conference and make the NBA Finals with a real chance to win the whole dang thing. And number five, man, like I said before, I think that... Oh, man, I completely lost my train of thought on that one. Number, number five, I'm just going to fill it in as something just in case I forgot. My apologies, I completely blanked out. But number five, oh, is that number five is that the Kings are going to remain as a top three seed. Um, I think that the Kings are still going to be extremely competent. Apologies to Kings fans for forgetting that one. I think that's the one that has the most jeopardy behind it. But um, yeah, Celtics going to make, I think the Celtics are not going to make the finals. And like I said, who comes out of the East? I don't have a pick on that just yet. But that is going to conclude this edition of the routine jumper radio podcast remember you can catch me live on the amp live radio app every monday and wednesday at 10 30 a.m for those who missed the episode you can catch these recordings on every podcast streaming platform and until next time 